This is Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Salvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. Earlier this month, the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority, or MBTA, released its so-called Forging Ahead Plan to substantially reduce service across its ferry, bus, subway, and commuter rail services. The changes are deemed necessary as the pandemic has seen ridership plunge from 1.26 million rides per day to less than 330,000, a mere 26% of the volume in 2019. The leadership of the MBTA contends the cuts will be fair, precise, temporary, and necessary to preserve the long-term viability of a system targeted to lose nearly $600 million in fiscal year 2021. Before the changes take effect, the leadership has invited the public to comment in forums across the Commonwealth before the first cuts go into effect in January. Not surprisingly, those affected by the proposed cuts, from transit users to MBTA employees, have voiced their concerns. Their broad arguments are centered around the T being a core resource for the commuters most in need and least able to seek alternatives. There's also some worry that temporary cuts, once made, will be slow to be restored, if at all, once the pandemic has passed. My guest today is Charlie Chiepo, a Pioneer Institute Senior Fellow, a Principal of Chiepo Strategies LLC, a public policy writing and advocacy firm, and adjunct faculty member of Suffolk University. As an expert in mass transit with a deep understanding of the MBTA structure, Charlie will share his views on the recently proposed cuts and offer suggestions on how this crisis might, in fact, be an opportunity to improve the MBTA's performance beyond the end of the pandemic. When we return, I'll be joined by Charlie Chiepo. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Salvaggi, and I'm now joined by Charlie Chiepo, of Pioneer Institute in Suffolk University. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Welcome. Thank you, Joe. I'm glad to be here. Now, Charlie, I'd like to start our conversation uh, by having a little exploration of what's missing from the debate between uh, MBTA cuts or no cuts. With ridership at uh, roughly 25 to 30% of pre-pandemic levels, briefly, what are your impressions of the planned cuts and the process by which those cuts were decided? Yeah, I think the I think the actual ridership is is worse than that. I think it's twenty five to thirty percent of pre pandemic level, levels, not below pre pandemic levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I think the process by which they arrived on that at those cuts is not really complete yet. Uh, the The board is gonna is going to vote on them on December seventh. The fiscal and management control board that runs the T these days, uh, and um, so. Uh, you know, they're going to be getting a lot of input from a lot of places before they make that decision. What I would say generally is that on one level, um, they, uh, they seem to have attempted to, uh, to, to sort of tailor the cuts to do the least damage to the most vulnerable. But on the other hand, you know, as often happens in, in the public sector, they also kind of avoided the cost centers and the, the, the cost cutting opportunities because they're politically difficult. Sure, sure. I, uh, I read a recent pioneer piece uh, speaking just to that point, in fact. Uh, so let's go there and talk about um, 
some of the cost centers that you think might have been useful. I mean, pandemic aside, these are opportunities to uh, reduce costs overhead uh, for the T. Um, uh, discuss for our, our listeners, uh, the, I think specifically the bus maintenance, maintenance operations and contracting service. Uh, can you speak to why they may help and and uh, yeah, some yeah, just in, you know, in the short term, uh, the MBTA put, pays um, more than for in 2015 it paid more for bus maintenance than any uh, than any other transit system in the country. Uh, on average, its bus maintenance costs are about twice um, are about twice uh, what other transit agencies are. Um, and you know, the reason for it is they have all kinds of crazy things in their contract where they have no, uh, they have no standard repair times. They have no sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, maintenance, uh, preventive maintenance soft software, uh, you know, no, um, no supervisor can ever pick up a wrench. You know, there's all kinds of this stuff. So there happens to be a system that works quite well that's used throughout Massachusetts, which is that, you know, Massachusetts has 14 regional transit authorities, and those regional transit authorities uh, all contract out their bus maintenance. Now, this is often viewed as a, you know, a union, non-union issue, but the fact of the matter is that all 14 of those uh, regional transit authorities um, contract out to companies that use union mechanics. Uh, and because they have those sort of basic best practices in place, um, the T, if they adopted that model, could save about $40 million a year. You know, so that's, you know, that's one model. One other simple one is, you know, we've had to cut the, um, we've had to cut the frequency or in some cases cut entirely some bus routes that serve uh, low-income areas, particularly, you know, areas where you have people who are in healthcare, in restaurants, in, you know, critical or hardest hit industries from the pandemic. Uh, and those folks need that service to get to and from work. So what, what, you know, the T has to run these giant 40 foot buses, you know, what a lot of places, including the T in other routes has done is simply contract out to use much smaller vans that are much less expensive to to use. So, you know, these are the kinds of, you know, just kind of common sense things that I think the T could do that could really mitigate the, um, uh, mitigate the impact of, of these, uh, of these cuts. And, and it's not, you know, this is not, um, I would not in any way call this sort of, um, you know, uh, experimental, you know, the, the, the T has cut its, the cost of its, uh, of its ride, you know, it's paratransit service from, Fifty-two dollars uh, 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 per trip to nine dollars per trip by essentially doing the same thing. You know, they they contracted out the operation of the money room the, where they process all the the the, the uh, all the fare money that comes in. You know, and they saved seventy percent and they dramatically improved service. It's not, you know, it's not rocket science. There's there's certain things that in the 21st century, you have specialized, you know, companies and operations that do it. You know, I think by doing that, we can just save a whole lot of money and really mitigate the, the uh, effect of these cuts. So I recently took the time to listen to a recording of the Financial Management Control Board. Uh, uh, when they announced forging ahead, they had a public meeting, an online meeting, and uh, anyone could join. I was impressed by their preparation. They seem to take uh, every sort of angle and, and understand challenges. Um, 
why do you think such, as you say, common sense, uh, low-hanging fruit, uh, uh, not experimental changes aren't implemented or aren't on the table along with the many painful cuts that are also attending these changes? Well, look, Massachusetts is unique. You know, I've often said, you know, I wrote a column in Mass that uh, 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 a few years ago that in the Globe uh, that it's it's a, it, Massachusetts is different from the rest of the country. Look, the fact of the matter is that in Massachusetts, eight out of the ten political action committees that give the most to political campaigns are labor organizations. You know, including uh, among them is the Carmen's Union, which is the biggest of the MBTA's twenty-eight unions. You know, uh, this is not the case nationally, and I'm not, uh, you know, a big fan of a lot of necessarily a lot of uh, 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 sort of more conservative views of the of the national picture. But Massachusetts is is different, and in Massachusetts, the fact of the matter is that in a state that is essentially a one party state, you look now, the state senate will be 37 Democrats and three Republicans. Uh, you know, the special interests that are aligned with the Democratic Party. Are awfully hard to uh, are awfully hard to go up against, and the fact of the matter is that the um, uh, politically trying to go against the Carmen's Union in this case to make these changes is very difficult. In fact, um, uh, you know we we have a we are the only state in the union that has a law that essentially makes it all but impossible to contract out any service that's currently delivered by uh, public employees or, or state state level employees. Uh, and, uh, you know, er, for, for the first few years, the first three years that the fiscal and management control board was in place, we had a, we had a, an exemption from that law. Um, but even then when they tried to contract out the bus maintenance, you know, to be perfectly blunt, the, um, the, uh, the Carmen's union, um, strong armed, uh, a bunch of companies from out of bidding. You know, so that there were ended up only being one bid uh, because they made it clear that it would be a very bumpy road uh, if, had, did com- if companies had bid for that. So let's bring the conversation back to the the proposal for the reduction in services. You know, much is being made about the fact that the T is, is not just a, a, a convenient, nice thing to have. It's essential to many of the people who use it. It's a different picture depending on where uh, we're looking at. Some some services are way down. Uh, we said uh, broadly it's 26% of what it had been before the pandemic. But uh, there's a different story here when we're talking ferries versus buses. Can you can you draw that picture for us? Yeah, I mean, if you look at you know the 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 um, the, the, the areas that are the down the most are the ferries, which is one of the reasons why I'm sure why that uh, the 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 uh, fiscal the uh, the T leadership has. Uh, urge that ferry service be cut entirely temporarily. Uh, and the other uh, is the commuter rail, which is down, I think it's something in the area of 13% of what it was before. Uh, you know, the, the subway service is sort of somewhere in the middle, but the, you know, on the, on the bus service, uh, although it's cut dramatically, the bus service is still um, serving about 41% of the customers that it did before. And what that speaks to, again, is that the bus service more often uh, is the service that uh, is the service that, that serves the, the, the lowest income individuals and the people who have fewer other transportation options. And I think that's why uh, that that service in terms of what we had written about, uh, you know, contracting out to run smaller vehicles, why maintaining that service is really the most critical. 
Now, uh, let's uh, drill down a little further talking about the bus. And again, you started uh, our conversation talking about reforms to the way the bus is maintained or the services itself. A lot has been made about the fact that any cuts, uh, are, the big concern is that if you cut it now, and it's taking a little while to do these cuts, we've had no cuts since the beginning of the pandemic or have identical service to before the pandemic. These cuts have taken, well, will take at least uh, approximately a year to implement. What about the idea that your suggestions or any suggestions that the uh, cuts made today will be very, very slow to be restored. Yeah, I mean, you know, Joe, that's a very good point. You know, no one has ever accused the T of being terribly nimble. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I think the fact that nothing has happened, you know, in nine months speaks to that. I think one of the things that is very important here is that, you know, look, the nationally, the political environment is changing minute to minute. And, you know, if, um, under new Biden administration, we're in a better position to get another, um, uh, to get another, uh, you know, uh, federal, you know, cares like relief act. And, uh, they're able to, you know, the, the T I believe got $887 million the first time around. If we're able to repeat something like that, I think it's absolutely critical that the, the T depending on when, when all this comes, either a reverse these, uh, cuts or B, uh, you know, uh, hopefully they can get the money before the cuts ever have to happen. But, uh, you know, that is, look, that is, that is, uh, uh, an important and a legitimate criticism that, uh, you know, we, we need to, the, the team needs to be as nimble as possible. And if, if the funding becomes available, uh, and I would not frankly be opposed to a modest gas tax increase either, as long as it was paired with these reforms, um, uh, you know, then I then I think that the T needs to be able to be able to quickly restore these services or or stop the cuts. Now we talked about the reaction, the the drop in ridership, both from in the extreme, uh, the ferries have gone way off, uh, yeah. buses less so. That suggests some sort of uh, elasticity of demand, right? They, there's going to yeah. be some people need it more than others. Right. Um, you know. Um, it looks like the ferries in that case drew the uh, short straw, meaning uh, they're they're being cut entirely. But perhaps it's following the fact that their ridership has has fallen off the most. Yeah. What does the, what's the T think those people will do if if the service is eliminated, albeit uh, temporarily? Yeah. Well, look, I don't want to you know uh, I don't want to generalize too much here. But look, the reality is that I, uh, somebody who takes a ferry from Hingham probably has more options <laughs> to getting to Boston. Uh, you know, than a restaurant worker living in Dorchester, you know, uh, and, and, you know, and that is the simple, that is the simple reality of all this. And uh, I also think, though, you know, the mystery to all this going forward is how permanent will these changes in work and commuting patterns be? And that's another area where the T's ability to kind of be nimble uh, becomes important, because when you combine, you know, the changes and the, the, the changes in people's habits that have occurred during this pandemic, you know, uh, with, uh, you know, I don't, we won't get into it, but other, other things that are going to change the landscape, like uh, uh, driverless cars and things like that, it's very important that the T be able to adapt. Now, having said that, I think we also have to avoid a situation where the T throws its hands up and says, well, the demand isn't there. Well, once this pandemic ends, service has to be restored so so that you can create the possibility you know and the opportunity for that demand to ramp up again and from a 
from a, uh, a congestion, from an environmental, from a climate change point of view, it's critical that the T do that. So the T really does need to, to be able to ramp this stuff back up again. Well, to that point, as we mentioned, I live in Back Bay and it's uh, wonderful. It's quiet and you can find a parking space and walk freely. Uh, yeah. That's a little bit troubling when we think about the economy itself and uh, uh, the effects on the economy. Uh, speaking to the point that we're scaling back service because the demand has fallen off, um, uh, are you suggesting this sort of, uh, if you build it, they will come, meaning do we build it first and then people ride it? Or do you, in a sense, see a demand that's not met and then build the service as it goes? In other words, what, what, is it a leading? Do you yeah, build it no, with point. the hope that it's being used? Yeah, let me, let, me, let me try to clarify. What I mean by that is what I'm saying is that, look, I think, you know, I think after years of, uh, you know, years of, uh, of uh, ignoring maintenance and that kind of thing, I think it, the, the, the most important, uh, the T priority has got to be to fix what it has and to upgrade its, its existing services. And not to say that we'll never need to expand because we will, but I mean, I just think that's the first priority. And I think that what I'm talking about is if we cut back um, services uh, come next spring, uh, uh, then what we need to do is, you know, as the uh, vaccine becomes more available and the pandemic, well, let's hope that God recedes, um, you know, you can't just say, well, you know, there's still not a lot of people writing. You need to, you need to make the T a viable option again for people to ride before you can say, uh, uh, people just aren't writing it. And, and, and by that, I don't mean, you know, all of a sudden you start building new things. I'm just talking about restoring uh, the kind of more comprehensive service that we had before the pandemic. What, what marker would you use to, again, to reassure people who are concerned about cuts that may never be reversed? What measure would you use? Would you say, let's measure congestion? Should we measure uh, number of people vaccinated? You know, th this seems to me to be a, 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 yeah. a difficult... You know, I guess, look, I'm not an expert on that. I guess my thought would be, you know, uh, you know, uh, number of people vaccinated or something about, uh, you know, about, um, you know, rates of the, of, of the virus, you know, that kind of stuff to say, okay, now that, uh, now that this seems to finally be coming to an end, you know, we have to see what the future of transportation is going to look like. What is the permanent, if any, impact of this? And we have to make the MBTA available. You know, we have these new, new, uh, uh, new green, uh, orange line and red line cars, all these things that are going to make it a better system. You know, we need to continue with that. Uh, now, if somewhere down the road, we've done all that and nobody wants to ride the commuter rail, well, you know, that's a different thing, but I don't, I, I, you can't just say, well, it doesn't look like anybody wants it. So we're not going to restore the cuts. I mean, that's, that's critical to be able to do that. I've been impressed by, again, the uh, planning, the uh, uh, Financial Management Control Board, by all the, the thought that went into choosing which uh, systems got cut where. I was also impressed by the fact that they solicited so many opinions. Uh, they spent an hour and a half of uh, email, you know, gave everybody 90 seconds, and I think there's not a single service that doesn't affect someone in a vital way. So Absolutely. it's a very tough choice they have, have to make. Um, in your view, uh, the role of transportation in a vital city like Boston I'm going to combine a couple of questions into one. What do you see the future of the T again with changes in technology, perhaps changes accelerated by the pandemic, more telecommuting, you know, less downtown uh, space in, in demand. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you see the role of, of, uh, of mass transit? Is it to 
help people get into the city? Is it a, is a um, uh, social welfare program to supplement the you know the commuting uh, needs of, of low-income workers? What do you see as it, its vital long-term goal? I view the MBTA as being uh, you know a facilitator of economic growth and economic development. And frankly, especially in recent years when we've been lucky enough to have sort of a boom uh, economically, I, I feel like the T, uh, and I'm not blaming the people who are there now, this has been long in coming, but the T has really been more of a constraint on economic growth, you know, than, uh, than a facilitator of it. Um, but, you know, I think in terms of the, in terms of the long run, again, I think it is, it is absolutely critical that we, uh, upgrade the core system, um, and my own personal belief is that we need to be careful about um, big long-term uh, investments in new services for things like uh, 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 South Shore Rail and rail service to Springfield and all that kind of stuff for the simple reason that we don't know exactly what the impact of autonomous vehicles is going to be. But when you look at when you look at the models done by places like McKinsey and BCG, what it shows is that um, is that is that com- commuter rail in particular will have a hard time competing, providing station to station service versus these um, uh, these autonomous vehicles that because they're faster because they can drive very close together because the technology, if it works the way we're being told, will essentially eliminate accidents. The throughput, the throughput will be much greater. It won't be much more expensive and it will be point to point as opposed to station to station. So until we know more about that, I would, I would not want to put a lot of money into big new commuter rail investments. That does not mean not upgrading what we have because we're talking about decades ahead. So I certainly would do that. But what the traffic models show is that where the real problem will be and where where transit will be absolutely critical is providing reliable, efficient service in downtown core areas. Because if it doesn't, that's where uh, that's where you'll be faced with gridlock if, if, if the transit system doesn't work. So that's just my sort of very 30,000 foot uh, sort of view of the of the future. So that's very interesting. So uh, autonomous vehicles, in your view, may obviate the need for long-term uh, commuter rail trains, but it will not have any effect or have little effect on the congestion in the immediate downtown. Yeah, and, and look, I, I you know I'm not I'm no expert on that. I, I'm just going by what I've read. That could end up being completely wrong. In which case, you know, we we would need to adjust. But I would just until we know more about that, uh, I would avoid big, long distance, you know, multi-billion dollar investments. So I want to um, uh, get back to the uh, forging ahead plan. Uh, I know you've read that. Uh, it got released out in November 9th, I think. And uh, it, this is the comment period. Uh, when reading it, set aside your suggestions on the um, bus uh, operations. Uh, what did you see as a most glaring omission or the the, the best suggestion, the most necessary cutback or the most wise. Uh, so what you like about it? What didn't you like about it? Yeah. Well, really, look, the only thing I didn't like about it was the 
with the unwillingness to, uh, you know, to, to, to sort of deal with kind of the third rails politically. Uh, you know, I thought given a very bad, you know, I would say catastrophic situation that we're facing, I think that the T uh, really did its best to try and um, tailor the cuts such as to, um, you know, such as to minimize the impact uh, on the people who have already been the most impacted by this pandemic and who have the fewest other options. Uh, that being said, you know, there just aren't any good options here. You know, I don't envy them, you know, to be in this situation. You know, nobody wants to do any of this. So, uh, you know, I, I would say just, you know, I, I was pleased uh, to see things like, you know, the, 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 the level of granularity that they seem to achieve in terms of how the cuts were made and where and really trying to tailor it, particularly when it comes to the bus service to minimize the, you know, to minimize the, the damage to, to the most vulnerable. Yes. I, again, I watched the, the meeting and I, I was really impressed by, yeah. by the thought. Uh, and going to your other point, uh, it was actually Secretary Pollack who's, who, uh, in reaction to some of the long-term trends, there are people predicting massive losses going into 10 years hence. Uh, she said, none of us knows what's going to happen in 10 years. Let's stick to the, uh, what's happening in the next couple of years, which I thought was particularly wise. Right. Um, so we know um, um, we're getting close to the end of the show, and I, we know that many in the governor's office and on on uh, Beacon Hill listen to the show. Uh, is there anything on anyone's desk, any legislation that it may not necessarily relate directly to the MBTA, but anything that could supplement? You mentioned uh, tax, a gas tax that may actually be directed towards um, a, a helping the T's solvency. What um, what kind of uh, legislation have you seen, or might you propose that that can help us in this this crisis? Yeah, look, I, I do think a, a, a you know a, a moderate gas tax increase would probably be helpful. Uh, I do think it would be the last time we would raise the gas tax. It seems to me that going forward, you know, going back to even 2007, I believe, with the Transportation Finance Commission, it seems for you know the groups that have really looked at it, you know, the way to finance uh, transportation. In Massachusetts and in other places as well, is to is to do it through electronic electronic vehicle tolling, you know, and taking that money uh, and using it not just to fund roads but also to fund transit, you know, and other investments that have become very critical, you know, uh, as we're trying to as we're trying to uh, control uh, emissions and 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 deal with global uh, global warming, climate change, and all those kind of things. So, you know, I think. I, you know, I think that perhaps a, a you know, a, a, a short term kind of um, uh, uh, gas tax increase sort of as a bridge to this way that we've been talking about now for over a, over a decade uh, to use electronic tolling as a as a, you know, a key way to, to fund transportation because it's a user fee. And I think it's fair. And I think I should say it's critical that it be. It be used equally throughout the state. In other words, I'm not talking about this situation now we have where, you you know, if you're coming from the West and you're on the pike, you're paying. If you're coming from here, you're not paying, you know, that kind of thing. This should just be sort of a vehicle miles travel, you know, just a basic, uh, you know, sort of everybody pitches in based on how much they drive kind of thing. Yeah, these seem like very fiscally conservative concepts, which is a user fee, which is you use right. the road, you use the congestion, uh, you, you pay for it. Yeah, um, 
when I'm questioned by my uh, fiscally conservative friends about uh, the idea of a, a user tax, I say, you know, the T has massive positive externalities, right? Every person that's on that T is not Absolutely. in a car on the highway in front of you. So it behooves all of us, whether we take the car or the T, move as many people as we can into mass transit, right? Uh, Unless no, you that, love traffic. <laughs> right. No, I mean, look, that's a very good point. I've been, I've been driving the, I've been taking the T since I was in college. I, I, for the life of me, I can't understand why anybody wants to be in a car or they can be sitting there reading a book or new, the newspaper. But nonetheless, that's absolutely right. Even if you are what I would consider one of those crazy people who's driving a car and you're there in traffic, you know, thank God for the T or they, you, you know, it would, your, your commute would take even longer than it does. Yes, indeed. All right. So without, um, we'll use that as our uh, final uh, uh, question. I appreciate your time, Charlie. This is your first time on uh, Hubwonk and uh, you're a natural. I really appreciate your, your time here. Well, I enjoyed it, Joe. Thanks for having me. This has been another episode of Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. If you enjoyed today's episode, there are several ways you can support us. You can give us a five-star rating. You can offer a review. You can subscribe to Hubwonk. And you can share it with friends. If you have comments or suggestions or ideas about future shows, you can reach me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk.